So Caroline, take it away. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, I, it was a little foggy this morning, but I think the sun is starting to come out and that's nice. Um, so growing up in Michigan um, with its great lakes and green trees um, always made me think of the, that the biblical landscapes were more like abstract life lessons rather than like real places on earth. So the physical realities of wandering through dry deserts and climbing holy mountains, it seemed as far off to me as a kingdom of heaven on earth. Today, we're gonna to talk about resilience and thriving after adversity. So it basically means um, to, uh, uh, sorry, um, I think Ken, I think you're, I gotta mute you, Ken, sorry, okay. Um, so <laughs> thriving after adversity, no, I just kidding. Um, so we're going to talk about resilience today and, and, um, resilience is defined as our capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. So it basically means to bounce back to normal. And there are a great many images in the Bible that capture the idea of resilience, including deserts and mountains. But as a young person, there was this one biblical place that I knew was real and I always wanted to visit. It was the Dead Sea. Now, maybe um, the Dead Sea seemed so real to me because I had heard as a child one concrete fact about it. When you swim, you float. So, um, but I also think after coming through difficult times of trial that the Dead Sea is a very effective image to talk about resilience. Its waters are so salty that no fish or plants can grow there. Only algae and little microbes can survive. The, the Bible refers to the Dead Sea about 16 times, and it's usually as the Salt Sea or the Sea of Arabah. Now, Arabah in Hebrew means wasteland or barren district. And legend holds that it is the location of two cities that were utterly destroyed. Today, the Dead Sea is part of the Jordan River, which flows inland along the eastern side of Israel and, um, and the West Bank. In the north, um, the Jordan River, it flows through the Sea of Galilee and along the valley where it ends in the Dead Sea to the south. So these are inland bodies of water. Now, Jesus met his first disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He performed the miraculous catch of fish there. He walked on water calmed the storm, and fed the 5,000. So I found this description of, from a wellness website, and it compares the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. And I think I'm getting some help with quote, pasting the quotes. So this here it goes. It says, the difference is that the Sea of Galilee takes water from the Jordan River, and then it gives it back to the river. The water simply passes through. The Sea of Galilee is a conduit. The Dead Sea is a container. The first is full of life. The second is full of death. They continue by making the two bodies of water a metaphor for our spiritual lives. Be like the Galilee and not the Dead Sea. Be a conduit, not a container. The Sea of Galilee, it is an image of um, like a healthy and vibrant experience. And the Dead Sea is an image of lifelessness and despair. It's at the bottom of the bottom. No fish swim, no plants grow. 
But that means that as an image for resilience, the Dead Sea has far more potential. If resilience is our capacity to recover from difficulties, then resilience necessarily involves traumas, setbacks, or challenges from which to bounce back from. You can't have resilience without adversity. And the Bible does not shy away from adversity. So we're talking about the kind of experience that makes the psalmist cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? And there are many psalms like this, psalms that speak to the experience of affliction, adversity, and despair. Now, the Sea of Salt, this barren wasteland, it gives a striking visual location for that psychological place. In, okay, so in 2010, I completed my master's thesis on resilience for women from a stigmatized group in the mental health system. So I spent a long time studying resilience for that project, and it was meaningful to me because I had just come through my own time of trial. The research was super interesting, and I discovered a curious thing. In studies of resilience, researchers found that after the crisis event or the adversity um, came to an end, there were roughly three outcomes. There were surviving, bouncing back, and thriving. So I just, I want you to imagine you're, and they have charts to make it visual, but you're going along and adversity strikes. You have a huge dip in functioning. Bottom of the bottom. Some survive and cope. Some recover, going back to the way they were. Some thrive, living better than they ever had before. So Jesus speaks to this phenomenon in resilience when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Here, Jesus is saying that those who are poor in spirit will not only survive, but thrive better than ever before. Through the pandemic, the world has been wrestling with varying levels of survival on a daily basis. And even now we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still present in our world. Survival is just vitally important to life. But when it comes to our children, loved ones, and even ourselves, we don't want to merely survive. We want to thrive. So what makes people thrive after adversity? There are three points on the research on resilience that I think can be helpful to know. So the first point is having a mentor who believes in you. The second point is the impact of a supportive faith community for increasing resilience to stress. And the third point about resilience that I wanna make is that even when people reach the lowest of lows, even a place of like suicidal ideation, there is hope for a thriving future. To our first point, 
most studies in resilience are actually on children, which is interesting, but remember that all humans are described as children of God. The re research on resilience shows that having a single mentor who truly sees the child and believes in them can transform their adult life outcomes. In fact, this is the one single common theme among children who have overcome enormous challenges, having a trusted mentor. From a biblical perspective, the healing power of a God who knows us and sees us in our affliction cannot be underestimated. So in Exodus 3-7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the affliction of my people. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors, and I am aware of their sufferings. That's in chapter three, verse seven. The healing power of a loving God who sees us in our affliction and who believes in us, it taps into this fundamental human need for a supportive mentor in overcoming adversity. Now to the second point about resilience and faith communities. Research and resilience shows that people with mental health difficulties who are involved in a faith community or group organization on a weekly basis have faster recovery and increased resilience to stress. I do think it's important to note that the type of faith, it doesn't actually make a difference here. It's the regular involvement with a supportive community that makes the difference. Pastor Emily's wife, Rachel Murr, um, is a counselor and studied uh, LGBTQ folks of Christian faith. In her book, and I have a little example, um, Unnatural Spiritual Resiliency in Queer Christian Women, and it's a great book, I highly recommend. She explored the harm of religiously inspired negative messages in the church and the resiliency of the faith of queer Christians. Thanks, Ken, that's helpful. So Rachel makes a really important point that I don't wanna miss. She says faith communities are only helpful if they are affirming and supportive of their members. Anything less than that can cause deep and sometimes irreparable harm. My third point on resilience is how even after experiencing that the lowest of lows, like suicidal ideation, some people come to a place in their lives where they thrive more than ever before. The Center for Suicide Prevention cites a survey of trans people in the UK, and I believe it's the largest national survey to date. So they found that a completed medical transition for trans people greatly reduced rates of suicidal ideation. And I'm gonna do some quick statistics for the statisticians out there. Um, researchers found that 67% of transitioning people thought more about suicide before transitioning, whereas only 3% thought about suicide more after transitioning. That's a huge difference in suicidal ideation and these statistics give us a grasp of the kind of resilience that we're exploring today, thriving after adversity. So I have a, another story I like to tell. Um, some years ago, one of my closest friends came to visit Blue Ocean. 
She grew up Hindu and was curious about what we're up to. So after the service, I introduced her to Ken, our co-pastor. And Ken happened to ask her what she does for a living. She said, I work in suicide prevention. Without even a second thought, Ken said, oh, oh, that's what we do here. And I don't know, I mean, that moment, it just stuck with me for years. When someone asked the question, why Blue Ocean? I'm like, this is it. So let's come back to the Dead Sea. Some years ago, I took a trip to the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt. My best friend and I traveled through the desert of Sinai, swam in the Gulf of the Red Sea. We hiked uh, Mount Sinai with an indigenous Bedouin guide. And it may or may not be the actual biblical Mount Sinai, but it was very moving. And then we went to Jordan we swam in the Dead Sea. So I'm gonna share my screen and show a few pictures and just give me a minute for the, the click, click, click. Um, okay, okay. So this is a picture of us on Mount Sinai and you can see how barren and, and the desert really is up there. And this is the picture of the, the, the bank of the Dead Sea on the Jordan side. And, and it's just lifeless, there's nothing there. It's just salty water and, and sand and dirt. And that's how you float. <laughs> so that's a picture of me floating in the Dead Sea, my dream coming true. Um, so I, I think noticing the, the barrenness of that landscape, I, I think it really is remarkable that God chooses a place like this, this dry and barren desert as the location for the tabernacle in the holy temple in the wilderness. In um, this prophetic vision of the holy city, the book of Ezekiel describes water bubbling up from the site of the holy temple. So in Ezekiel 47, this bubbling water, it begins very, very small, like the gurgling of, of water in the mouth of a jug. And then the water flows east toward the Dead Sea. Now first it's ankle deep, then knee deep, then waist deep, then deep enough for swimming and you cannot cross it. This is an image of thriving, but in the next part in verses six through nine, the Dead Sea makes its grand entrance. So we're gonna paste the verses in the chat and we can read it together even though it's a little long. So it says, the angel said to me, have you seen this son of man? Then he led me back along the bank of the river. As I came back, I saw on the bank of the river, a great many trees on the one side and on the other. He said to me, this water flows towards the Eastern region and goes down into the Arabah. Remember that's the Dead Sea. And when it enters the sea, the sea of stagnant waters, and other translations are foul, polluted, filthy waters, they will become fresh. It says, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish once these waters reach there. It will become fresh and everything will live where the river goes. 
This is such a beautiful image of resilience and thriving. And it goes on. The salty waters of the Dead Sea are not only made fresh, but they thrive with all kinds of fish and life and fruitful trees. It even retains a reserve of salt in the marshes, which is an incredibly valuable resource for the region. Now, these are not just poetic images of resilience because they're rooted in real places on earth. And so they give us hope for both spiritual and earthly transformations. It makes me wonder if the kingdom of heaven inherited by the poor in spirit is also a real place on earth. I love when reality and prophetic vision embrace. So we're gonna sum up our three main points. Research and resilience shows the importance of a single mentor for a struggling child. Likewise, the Bible gives us a God who knows us and who sees us in our affliction and gives us a tree of life for healing. Research and resilience shows the importance of regular weekly connection to a supportive faith community for increased resilience to stress. The Bible gives us an image of a river flowing from the holy place that starts as the smallest gurgle, as if from the mouth of a jug, and it becomes a flowing, thriving river of life. Research and resilience shows that after adversity, some people thrive better than they've ever been before. The prophetic vision gives us an image of the sea of salt, the sea of stagnant waters, the Dead Sea, becoming a fresh, vibrant, abundant resource full of life and well-being. For those of us coming out of times of adversity, the vision of a rejuvenated Dead Sea gives us a powerful image of resilience and thriving.